Welcome back to another episode of the Digital Village Podcast, the podcast all about the latest technology trends and topics impacting business, people, and planet. My name's Chris, producer of the show, and you're listening to part two of a three-part series. In part one, we explored the responsibilities of innovation. In part two, this will be all about the innovation challenges in the ag tech industry. Our hosts for today's episode are none other than Jason Hardy and Luke Fabish, who will be joined by quite the cast of experienced individuals, um, starting with Dr. Kara Stiltson and Simon Filk, who are research scientists from CSIRO and Data61, respectively. Professor Graham Williams, AI developer and researcher, educator and practitioner. And finally, bringing the conversation together, Peter and Nikki Thompson, farmers, grazers and ag technologists from EcoFarms. So sit back, enjoy today's episode, and I'll see you at the end. Well, I think that's, um, that's, a, good, that's a good time for us to, to move on to the next segment of this conversation. Um, because it's related to exactly that. So thanks for that setup, Cara. Um, so what I'd like us to, to, you know, what we can start talking about now is, um, what challenges the ag industry is facing when it comes to innovation, but, um, um, and then like, yeah, what more, what opportunities, um, are arising from data-based innovation in agriculture. So, um, so Peter and Nikki. Uh, from the, your perspective, um, so ag, ag tech has provided, so that it, you know, ag tech providers do have brought a lot of value um, to the industry in terms of improved land production and harvest and cost reduction and so on, or even just information, um, you know, around biodiversity, for example. But um, and the secret source to these to these innovations, or the, is the is the is the data the farm data collected uh, by those um, ag tech providers, um, which enables them to innovate and is what enables them to provide a service back, which brings value to the enterprise. So, um, just to get started, I I'm interested to to hear to know if, what your view on this is in terms of like is this exchange of value uh, fair um, and are farmers aware of how their, their farm data is being captured and used? Probably to jump in there to start with, and I'm sure Mickey will have plenty to uh, follow on. Just one quick one, uh, following on from what you're saying there before, Cara, the a good example of um, some data that really needed ground tracing, and I'll use company names and you can edit it out if you need to, but um, <laughs> so we've been uh, working with Tim Neal from Data Farming and then Phil Tickle with Sebo Labs very closely. And a really good example of how remote sensing can go so wrong with, and we've been doing the ground treating on the grass growth with the um, Sebo Labs paddock monitoring, grass monitoring. And we found that with our buffalo grass on our better soils, which happen to be a darkish chocolatey brown that our that was dry the grass is going down 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 as we're eating it and then inexplicably on that all the stuff coming from the satellite it was showing we were getting this upturn to the extent that it actually went to nearly as good as you would get in the very best season and what we worked out was that the reflectance of the soil as it more of it was showing through the grass with the same reflectance <laughs> of 
five tonne to the hectare of buffalo. So we can see that's been <clears throat> worked on, but it just shows you, and Gary said, it, everything's in its infancy, which um, will lead to the next step of getting, how do you get farmers to give up the data to do the ground truthing, <clears throat> because there's certainly a lot that are um, a bit, uh, once bitten, twice shy with a lot of big stick regulations that have come in. I suppose we take the view that that uh, recording capability is there and it's going to be improved and enhanced and therefore it's better to be in and on the way rather than getting smashed by it. So that's one of the things that we certainly promote to people. Um, but the other is connecting, giving that human-to-human -human connection rather than it being us and the government or us and CSIRO or whatever. Today is a really good example. And I'm sure Nicky will be able to put in much better words, the uh, connectivity between people and the, the warm data connection there. Um, but on the farm data itself, one of the things that we've found, you talk about a, um, a shared value, it's been very much a one-way street at the moment in that we look at it that as a farm we provide all sorts of different data in massive amounts and that data in a lot of cases is no real use to us unless there's something to to help us interpret it which is where the software and data analysts etc etc come in what has been happening is we've been providing all this data and giving it freely or it's been taken freely from us and then sold back to us in a package that can amount to many thousands of dollars per year per package. Um, so it hasn't been a, a, like their thing is no good without the data and our data is no good without the thing. So it's trying to work to getting a, a more equal uh, flow backwards and forward. Mm. And so what do you think would you know, could what needs to happen there? What is the change that you might like to see from your perspective on the ground? So one of the things I've been involved with the National Farms Federation Farm Data Code uh, development, and which has been going for about I think it's saying it's about four or five years, and we're up to the stage now where we're actually having our first um, uh, certification panel meeting later this month. The idea of that is that uh, a company, XYZ company, will bring their package to us for certification and our, I think there's eight of us from memory on that panel, will go through that and determine whether they've met the criteria and, and some basic criteria of that is that it's and trans, transparent to start with uh, that the data is transferable, so say you move from one company to another, that you know it's just like your health data or your education data or whatever goes with you, and that it doesn't cost you to change. And we've had a personal experience with a white name the company, but a company that's wanting a fee for us to get our own data back from them because we've gone to another company. Um, look, I think it's. If we can get a 
code of practice in place, it will become a point of difference for those companies that they can say, right, we, yep, we've got the, the farm tick, the green tick, whatever you like to call it. And, well, yeah, it's, it's, that, it's, it's that baby steps. We've got to start somewhere, and I believe we're on a, a good track. Yeah, that's that, that sounds like a really amazing initiative. Um, on the, and, and I think that's going to be like quite amazing um, to just to be able to have that certification there. Um, what's been, I guess, the what sort of reception has that met with in you know industry on the provider side? Um, you know, for like to be presented with this code, and so we want to provide. Yeah, you know, we want to you know get you certified. You know, on this, has there been a lot of like insight into you know your needs in that respect? It's actually, if anything, has been uh, much more interest from the industry, from the provider industry, than farmers, and mainly because I think yeah. farmers don't realise just how much data is being collected. Yeah, I've, I've just looking at some notes I've got here, and I look at the number of just at a glance, eight different companies we deal with that are taking data from us either every quarter of an hour or every hour or every day as part you now it's all fantastic gear that we've got and it's helping the whole farm and whatever but that's uh and and you'll have a either a five or a 50 page document that you tick off when you buy the thing and mm. in there if you really delve in you'll find a line somewhere that basically you've given it all away so that's part of the thing we're trying to at the same time trying to educate farmers to look deeper into their contracts but also educate the providers to come up with something if they get set, part of getting certified is they'll need to have a readily understandable agreement up front can I just make a comment too on the sort of on the bigger picture side and thinking of the roles governments can be playing in data? That you know, if if people know that their data is going towards something that is actually really in service of future generations' well-being, those bigger overarching um, things, which to me is what they should be about. You know, we should be collecting this data so we can be doing a better job as custodians and and um, ancestors. I think if there can be some, you know, whether it is a legislative thing or how can we start thinking at that bigger level that the data can be coming in service of, dare I say, good, <laughs> because I think then the trust can start to build up because I think that there is often then people play a bit of secret squirrel because they're worried that it will be de decontextualized and weaponized against them at times. So, you know, I think that those kind of things to create a sense of trust and, um, would, would go a long way. Mm. That's that's a really good point, Nikki. And um, I'd like us to, you know, again, we're going to be talking in a moment about um, data access and data management and data ownership and how that might be better managed. Um, plus, I'd like us at that point to talk about how there can be an improved understanding of that, of different data sets when decisions are being made at different, say, policy levels around um you know, decision-making. Um, but before we move on to that, I just wanted to wrap up this segment with a question uh, to yourself, Nikki, and, and Peter also. Um, Peter, before you mentioned that 
people are either in in or on the wave of technology i'm assuming um and what is what does that mean for farmers or producers who are not on the wave um are people being left behind you know as as um you know like if you're saying this it's moving super quick since 2017 the the amount of techno technological development is crazy um and so what does the future look like um for those who are not adopting these technologies I suppose that's for anyone good, actually really good question i'll give a quick one in that as much as i love technology and the everything it brings i do question whether people are being as left far behind as we all think they are um it's just there's something I often ponder when I look at all the whiz-bangery we've got. Are we actually that much better off? I think we are, but yeah, I wouldn't say yes, we definitely are. Yeah. Um, and yeah, anyone else like to talk to that? I um, also just to add to add to that, Peter. Um, I'm interested to know how you guys manage to, um, I guess, be on the wave, technology and innovation, and be reaping the benefits from all of that, while at the same time maintaining connection to country. And how does that actually, does it actually help with that? You know, um, of it, you know, we see, just as an example, the digitization of our personal lives um, and the experience of that and how disconnecting that can make us even with other people. Um, is there a similar relationship with, with the land? I actually think that's a really good one for Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that it's one of those things that needs to be a both and, um, I think it concerns, I think, both of us if we see people coming who are trusting the data that's coming to them without going out and, and understanding what's going on out in the paddock. And, and sadly, I think there is a bit of, there can be a little bit of a divide going on that, um, that you know, there can be a focus on what the data is telling us without actually putting it into context, asking the big questions. And I think that's where experience is something that's um, really hard to beat and also collaboration and talking over the fence. So I think, you know, I look at Peter has always been interested in technology um, going way back, you know, to, you know, when, if you looked at the tractors and things we've had over the years, but it's, it's always been in service of how can we do the job better at home and, um, and he's always been very iterative in how he's looked at it. So you try something, you, you ground test it, you try, you modify. Whereas we've seen people who've gone in, they've jumped holus bolus into a model. Um, and when that hasn't worked, I've often been very good at blaming the model or blaming the weather or blaming the something. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you've really got to be willing to be like what I see a good scientist is. You know, they, they experiment, they learn, they go back, they keep, you know, rocking backwards and forwards they integrate data when it comes in rather than just going fundamentally down one track or the other so i think if you can do if you if you're not doing both of those 
either on the ground in agriculture or in the role that you know that Simon and Cara and Garam are in, neither of them is going to work very well. Um, and so the more we can get that collaboration and that seesawing happening, then I think we can do really cool stuff. You know, we can digital, analog, cross-contextualise. And yeah, I think it's really, really, really positive then. Mm. And, and that's, that is such a great point, I think. For, uh, as a data scientist, um, I, I live and breathe the data that I get access to. But, but the mistake is to only live and breathe that data, um, getting back to to the source of the data and understanding how you, you see so many so many projects fail because they believe in the data that they are analysing without going back to to that ground truth to to the source of the data, um, and there's so many opportunities for error to um, creep into data data. Um, being aggregated in incorrect kind of ways. Um, we see this over and over again um, in, in data science that um, it is just not being checked. The sanity checks just aren't there to ensure that what the, the stories we're digging out of the data actually match the reality that um, um, underlies the collection of that data. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. I mean... How, how much meaning can be derived from large data sets um, and as they are continually broken down and, um, and analyzed, uh, they can create a real story that can go down a lot of different, you know, routes. So, um, and so... I'd like to hear Nikki a little bit about uh, warm data, and in particular in the context of creating context around these data sets. Um, so you know, because you know, I, I'll let I'll let Nikki talk to it. But um, when information is being, you know, sorry, when um, data scientists or uh, creating doing analysis or creating insights from their research data sets um, and what is the understanding of what those things mean especially when it is shared and decisions are being made on that information um, Nikki can you introduce the concept of warm data I think it will be a new idea for everyone in and listening yeah 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 I'm I'm passionate about this and you couldn't have had a bit of thing coming into it I'm sure you planned beautifully Jason <laughs> reading the warm data in the room. Um, so warm data is a term that was coined by um, Nora Bateson um, and she's got a long lineage. Um, her her um, father um, has and grandfather both worked in systems area over years, over the young years. So she's had a fascinating life, Nora. But she's really about recontextualizing data that we've sliced and diced everything and we need to bring it back into a state of holism and then see how the parts interact with each other. So, I mean, a warm data lab for something like this would be a really cool process to go through. And just to use it as an example, you'll get a really simple question that you look at, which could be like, what is well-being? And you sit 
and you get into little groups and you look at it through well, what does well-being mean through the lens of politics or economics or family or religion um, or you can put a few of those together and it's just about people bringing their felt experience of the world to those big questions and looking at it through different lenses then you get up and you move to different areas so you'll you can't get caught in your own biases or you get them shifted by just the connections that you have with other people that is put into a container it's like an ecosystem but it's not a structured one so it also breaks down a whole lot of our things that I can't leave a group until somebody gives me permission. So you, you, you're starting to break down a whole lot of those unspoken rules that you have at the same time that you're trying to recombine things that you potentially didn't ever see had a connection because we've gotten so good at siloing things. And we've learned a hell of a lot by doing it. We've just got to work out how can we go back to that system, that ecology, the fact that everything impacts everything else. Um, I hope that gives a bit of a background. No, it's great. Um, I'm, I'm keen to hear, you know, all the scientists in the room, what everyone kind of thinks about that or follow on questions you guys might have about it. Yeah, I think especially within the context of like responsible you know, innovation, because um, it does sound like, oh, bringing context into a practice more than, you know, trying to reduce it to, for instance, data. I can have a go first, Cara and Graham, if you'd like, <laughs> as as a scientist. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that description, Nikki. It reminds me of some of the um, old thinking around cybernetics. Um, and in my kind of world of scholarship, uh, a shift from innovation systems to innovation ecosystems, uh, which gets thrown around a lot, particularly in kind of the worlds of incubators and uh, accelerators, etc. Um, but I, I'm finding increasingly useful in terms of understanding complexity and just how connected some of these systems are where previously I guess those things maybe were externalities within um, the ecosystem or things we couldn't easily kind of access or measure or understand but increasingly there are kind of new ways of figuring out how to do those things so how to understand how a network is evolving um, how data is turning into or facilitating the development of products, how those products are then kind of helping people make decisions um, and ultimately kind of change the way they do things. And these are really kind of complex processes, but we're getting increasingly better at kind of understanding them and, and picking up what the kind of both drivers and barriers to, to some of those processes are. It's actually a big part of uh, some of the work that Cara and I do at the moment. Like to add anything, Cara? We, yes, I guess I'd, I'd like to learn more uh, about this approach 
and how it's facilitated. Um, and there's a couple of things that you said, Nikki, that got me thinking immediately about how to apply this in my own work, some of the work that Simon just alluded to. We're now getting better at bringing different types of scientists into the same room. And we're also creating spaces for scientists and our, our partners, our funders, and, and members of communities together. And it sounds like this the warm data approach, if I can call it that, in a natural way can start to break down some of the barriers and some of the costumes that we wear when we come into those sorts of rooms. Um, yeah, I'm wondering how, how our approaches might be able to come together and make magic and reduce complexity. And, and I'd like to hear your thoughts about that proposition and, and maybe if you've got some sense of what the challenges are with this approach. I mean, to run a warm data lab with CSIRO would be really cool. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, our mindset is one of the big things, but also the fact that we, we have created a lot of systems that are based on Newtonian type science. So it's, it's complicated. We're very good at complicated and we're trying to put the concept of complicated over complex. You know, and complex is, you know, as Simon was saying, it's emergent, it's cybernetics, it's you you tweak this thing over here, you don't know what is going to happen, whereas with a complicated system, you do. Um, and we're also living in, you know, economic and political systems that are very complicated and do not interconnect very well with each other. So I think that's the challenge. Um, and I think, yeah, like this conversation is that the more we can be ground truthing and working from grassroots up and connecting, the change will come that way because people will start to get a felt sense of this isn't working. You know, I was really thrilled to see that, yeah, Sophie, how the, the Minister for Future Generations from Wales has been over here and talking to the government about thinking a bit longer term. So, yeah, I think there's a whole lot of things that are starting to rattle the foundations because people are realising we can't keep doing things the way we have, we have been doing. But I think a warm data lab would be a really great thing to do with CSIRO and you can do them online as well too. So we can talk. It, it's really interesting. There's this company, we're talking about the concept of interconnectedness and um, the, the importance of that. And I, I think that really is fundamental. I mean, I, would often use the term um, relational relationship um, and the incredible importance of a relational understanding of our world um, is, is I, I think I'm, I'm no great historian, but you know, I think we used to know, you know, maybe um, millennia ago, have, have much deeper understanding with, with some of the um, early philosophers around the importance of relationship and the relational understanding the interconnectedness of the world and um, I think from my data science computer science perspective um, the, the importance of um, the interconnectedness of the data and the disciplines and the domains that I'm looking at across all the different areas of science that I work in and um, you know it's we have complex systems and maybe it's human nature to try to, um, uh, through analysis, analysis is about breaking the problem 
into smaller problems. And so we've broken our endeavor of understanding the world as scientists into very um, um, siloed areas of science. And we don't talk to each other very much, even in computer science. Um, one area of computer science speaks a different language to another area of computer science. Um, and I'm sure that's true in, in uh, across many of our disciplines. And you get the same people, you get people into the same room and um, gee, we have trouble understanding each other until we realize that we're using very different words for the same things. And then it all comes together, that interconnectedness, understanding the relational aspects there. And I, I think, you know, it's a bigger humanity question as well, but um, relation, relational understanding of the world, how everything is interconnected is, is so important. And um, if what I'm hearing, you know, one of the philosophies behind this warm data sounds um, like it's you know, capturing something that we really do need to um, have, have a focus on if we're to, if we're to survive into the future. Mm. Um, and uh, it's just fascinating to hear about things for sharing that, Nikki. That's, that's really fascinating. Um, and I think it's, you know, a wonderful insight. So I guess it'd be interesting to hear, do we think that as, you know, if we all want to practice, I guess, responsible innovation, co-design, working with our stakeholders that we should, I guess, be moving away from breaking things down into smaller chunks and reaching towards these maybe larger, more interrelated, but maybe not so easily digestible understandings of data, of needs, of solutions. And I guess I picture that if I can jump in again. Uh, yeah. But, you know, after, sure. the after the analytical, after the analysis, after breaking it into these small components, the real trick is the synthesis. How do we then synthesize that back? And, and this is, I, well, I use a simplistic picture of the world of we, we have data, we turn data into information, we turn information into knowledge, um, and then we use wisdom to bring that back together. And um, we haven't got wisdom into computers yet, but uh, <laughs> maybe we were one day, maybe we never will. But um, we use our wisdom as humans to synthesize things back together. And um, so it's that synthesis that is the next step from that analysis. And I guess that's what we're talking about here, bringing those elements back together into the same room to synthesize with wisdom to, to, to drive our wisdom into the future. But I'll just jump in with a quick comment there to follow up on Graham. I think that's what so many people, unfortunately, in the speed of everything happening, have, haven't realised that it, you actually need that wisdom to pull it all back together. I think there's a lot of people that, uh, I even think, you know, we talk about artificial intelligence. There's no intelligence there at all because it has no wisdom. This. So I think that's um, something that um, it you really nailed it, Brian. Yeah, I um, I'll, I'll wait until I was I kind of had the same insight or observation, Peter. Um, and I'll I'll wait until I ask the question later because I'm sure we're going to be getting on to the topic of AI a bit sooner. 
Um, do you have any other questions? We should move on to the next. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because I, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, Can I just make sorry. one final comment, Jason? Please, Greg. On top of what Graham was saying about that synthesizing, I think the other thing that's so important that the warm data stuff holds is making sure you're synthesizing through a real diverse lot of people as well. So you're bringing yeah. in, you know, it might be a child, an artist. Uh, yeah, so you're really letting it be a, a really rich ecology that's helping with the synthesis that'll see the, the unseen connections. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Please, Cara. Just then on top of on that comment, Nikki, and on Graham's, if we're thinking about wisdom as this sort of synthesis that needs to happen, and Nikki's just spoken to the the critical ingredient of having a diversity of perspectives to help with that synthesis. Are we getting to a point where there's also synthesis possible by the very nature of the data and information that now is in becoming kind of a plethora of, of like, how would we give a seat at a table in a warm data session to data? To data. To data itself. I mean, we, we, it, it maybe it's kind of putting that adding context where context had become devoid, trying to flip that on its head in a way. I mean, and Graham, I'm sure, could speak to this. You know, when you reach a certain threshold of data and information, it unlocks a certain capability that I think we're not yet able to make sense of. Um, seems that that is part of the synthesis that we're after, at least in some cases. Mm, like, can we perform synthesis at scale? Any your thoughts, Graham? Um, processing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, th I, I think we've got a way to go still. Um, whether we can get there in the end, let's see. And I know we'll, we'll sort of start talking a little bit about AI and that, yeah. but, but, um, mm -hmm. um, it, it's not all about data, even though I'm a data scientist and I like to think it is all about data. Um, there's, there's so much more that um, you need to bring into these stories. And um, yeah. it's not all about science. It's, um, it's about art. Um, it's about religion. It's about society. It's about humanity. Um, bringing all of that together in that relational model. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, so it's... Let's, let's move on, you know, and speaking of data, um, and uh, let's, let's come back to that. I think, you know, there's, there's some interesting conversation to finish up. Um, but... We hope you enjoyed part two of this series. We'll be back same time mid next week to explore the embracing data sovereignty, digital twins and personal learner data stores, as well as a paradigm shift towards data sovereignty and the responsibility towards innovation.